Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. This week, we are walking you through the flames of building business relationships across gender lines in the age of Me Too. Men are now less apt to take on women yes. as mentees mm-hmm. or to have these meetings. One man's horseplay is another man's humiliation. How do you navigate shark-filled waters? It goes from a meeting to now something that, that feels more romantic. Is it professional? Does it belong in a workplace? We'll talk about setting boundaries, avoiding lawsuits, and moving up the ladder by quelling sexual tension. A first-of-its-kind bill is signed into law in Pennsylvania that'll give hundreds of thousands a second chance. If they can't become gainfully employed, they're going to be on the system for the rest of their life. What it does, how it'll work, and one of the men crossing the aisle to get it done. Flashpoint is sponsored by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is networking across gender lines post Me Too. This week, actor Terry Crews gave emotional testimony of his assault by a powerful Hollywood agent. The assault lasted only minutes, but what he was effectively telling me while he held my genitals in his hand was that he held the power. Crews and other victims want the passage of the Sexual Assault Bill of Rights in all 50 states that would give survivors access to police reports, retention of DNA evidence, and more. He also called for more men to stand against toxic masculinity. His testimony made me think about the flip side of Me Too. It's having a chilling effect on networking and mentorship across gender lines. Last week, I had an experience that raised questions about how women and men can ensure interactions remain professional. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Peggy McCausland. She's an attorney with expertise in employment law. She's also president of the Forum of Executive Women in the Greater Philadelphia Region. We also have Jennifer Robinson. She is CEO of Purposeful Networking, an organization that holds workshops and trainings that helps individuals become better networkers. And finally, we have on the phone Dr. George James. He is a marriage and family therapist who counsels people on how to overcome everyday relational struggles. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Jennifer, I want to start with you. As women move up in business and in politics, they have to network effectively across gender lines. What are some of the biggest issues you see when women try to accomplish this effectively? Women tend to be taskers. So they tend to sit behind a desk and think that if they work really hard, they're going to get noticed. And they don't step up to the plate as much to network and get out and make those opportunities for themselves. So that's the first problem I see. The other problem is they want help from mentors, which oftentimes are men. And it's suggested that they go meet for drinks or they have dinner or something outside the workplace. And instead of standing up for themselves and saying, you know, breakfast would be better or let's stay at the workplace and have lunch in the conference room, they just go along with it because they think that this person has expertise and can help them and they don't want to ruffle any feathers. Where you come in, Peggy, this is the age of Me Too movement where fuzzy is happening and people getting slapped down because of it. Well, that's true. But men have to be careful not to let that get in their way of being effective mentors because if they refuse to engage with women in the workplace, they could wind up being accused of gender discrimination. My advice is be a mentor to women just like you are to men and just keep it professional. I do see occasionally, and I think it's really a shame, 
when gossip starts because a man is taking a woman out to lunch or dinner and then right away people start assuming that there's some more than professional relationship when that's not true, that's really unfortunate, but it's not a good reason for men not to step up to the plate and mentor women just the way they mentor men. Yeah, and I want you, Dr. James, to weigh in here because, you know, people are married. They have different types of upbringing and feelings about making platonic connections. How do you help folks navigate some of those cultural issues with this new wave of networking coming to the surface? I try to help people think about what are the values and commitments in their own relationships. So to make sure that you and your partner are on the same page and to be as transparent as possible. Letting them know there's a new person at work that I'm mentoring, I'm gonna spend some time with him or her. So that way, at least in your relationship, there is safety, there's trust, so there's no confusion about what's going on. And then with the mentee or person that you could be working with or coworker, being upfront. I mean, you don't often have to say like, do you see my ring? But you could like let people know that you're not trying to come through the back door of being a mentor to turn that into a relationship because Things have been so confusing or people have crossed the line. That's a big issue across the lines. And Jennifer, when you work with people, do you advise that women network in a different way from men? So it's definitely not the same across the board. And I think that's why women overall are not as successful at networking as men. One of the primary examples of this is that women tend to want deeper relationships with people that share their values. They want quality instead of quantity relationships. And they're less apt to ask for favors, ask for business, ask for a promotion, Um, unless people really share their values and they know them well, whereas men don't have any problem doing that. They'll meet somebody once at an event, pick up the phone and say, you know, can you help me with this situation? Can Can you hook me up with somebody at your company to find me a job? Whatever it might be, they don't have those reservations that women have, and they're much more able to advance their network in that way. Um, than women are. Do people look at you in a a negative kind of way if you are a woman who doesn't follow that typical past way of doing things? I don't think so. I think that if you command the respect, you know, if you show people that you have the confidence and you you should be respected, I don't think that's going to happen. I think it's all in the way that you set boundaries and present yourself. So that can have to do with your actual physical presentation, the way you dress, you know, your mannerisms, the fact that you're not flirting or or things of that nature. But also just, you know, keeping it professional, as we've said, you know, when are you going to meet? Where are you going to meet? You know, if you feel like you have an instinct that things might go a different way that you don't want it to go, maybe bringing another colleague to a meeting. But not, you know, not being in a position where you're not taking the meeting because you're worried about the consequences. If it's something that can help you advance, you should find a way to make it happen in a professional way. You mentioned that some of the gossip. How do you shut that type of thing down? The last thing you want is for your reputation as a woman or as a man to be tarnished because of misconceptions. And then you want to make sure that you don't get involved in some kind of an issue that could lead to a sexual harassment claim. Right. Well, I think one way to keep the gossip from getting started is to not spend too much time with any one person. So that if you're looking for mentors, maybe look for more than one. And then people see that this is you just trying to advance professionally and you not going to drinks all the time with a particular uh, colleague. So that would be one way to shut it down. Another, sometimes, unfortunately, you simply have to ignore it. You know, some sometimes people just think the worst and you can't always prevent that. But um, a, a word that we heard used a moment ago, professional, I think that's the key. I do a lot of training in harassment avoidance. And I used to say to avoid offensive whatever, cartoons, pictures, jokes. Whatever. Now I say avoid unprofessional 
things because we can disagree on what's offensive. One of the problems is I, somebody tells the joke because they're not offended by it. So if you tell them not to tell an offensive joke, they tell it because it's not offensive to them. If you set the standard is, is it professional? Does it belong in a workplace? There's less room for debate about that. So keeping your interactions professional, your language, your conduct, your dress, keep it professional, and you're a lot less likely to either be accused of harassing somebody or be accused of inviting a relationship that you didn't really want. The idea for this show came from what I thought was a professional interaction with an older man. And we were discussing business and I asked to meet for breakfast and he immediately said, I'm a happily married man. And I was like, <laughs> OK, uh, this will be a business meeting. And he's like, I just wanted to let you know. And I was like, OK, he said, but I do have friends I could hook you up with. And I was like, well, I'm not interested in you or your friends. This is for a professional meeting. He was like, oh, so you want to talk business? Yes. Wow. <laughs> and so, Dr. James, I mean, we, we, we kind of talked, we touched upon this a little bit when you mentioned about setting boundaries within the household. How do you make your marital status clear? And how do you avoid having that type of awkwardness? Because when I posted this script of our back and forth conversation Scores and scores, almost 150 comments on this issue, and people have it all the time. The awkwardness is there, but it's also about the delivery. If you're going to share that about your marital status, it's important to put it out there. Some Obviously, you might see the ring, but other times it might be able just to give a precursor, to say, like, look, I just I want to invite you out to, to, to talk about the business. But I don't mean anything else other than that. Sometimes you've got to be very clear. And I think in this day and age, being clear and having clarity between two people is so important. But on the other side, yes, you could be a little bit nervous because of other things that have happened in your own life. The other thing that I think that people don't do is they don't pay attention to themselves and how you might come across. Maybe you've been a flirt all your life. Just own it and just know that you come across as a flirt sometimes. Or maybe you're that type of person where you're naive to some of the signs that somebody could be putting out there when they're attracted to you. And so if you are at least aware of these things, then you can be knowledgeable about what is happening between you and somebody else versus acting as if nothing is happening when it's right there. Yeah. And, and I will say I got tons of different types of advice, like the use of the word meeting versus offering <laughs> breakfast. Say, right. would, you, would you like to set up a meeting? And and right. Jennifer, do you do you counsel women? I mean, because if you're a, if you're a younger woman, attractive woman, if you're married, all different types of things weigh into how people view you. And you, like Dr. James said, may be unaware, even though you believe you're being professional, people may be viewing you in a different way. Right. And really, that's on them. You know, if you're keeping it professional, like we discussed, that's really on them. Your situation actually surprises me because I don't hear up front like that a lot. Somebody immediately say, oh, you want to have breakfast? I think that's a date or just so you know, I'm not interested. Usually it gets to, you know, the meeting, the drink, the breakfast, whatever it is. And then it comes out, you know, that there's advances or something that was misconstrued. So that situation actually surprises me. <laughs> it was surprising you know? to me too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think one of the things you can do, um, you know, when you set a meeting, let's say instead of a breakfast, is you can actually send out an agenda with specific goals. So, there, you know, this is what we're going to discuss at the meeting. This is why I wanted to meet with you. This is what I'm hoping to gain from it, you know, so that there's no question 
about why you're meeting. I think that's something that you can do. Um, you know, if it is a situation, sometimes because of people's schedules, it has to be an after work thing. They don't have any time during the day. You do have to meet, let's say, at a restaurant or bar after work. Um, yeah, I think, you know, um, what the doctor said about, you know, telling your status is important, whether it's just making the ring noticeable or actually mentioning, you know, your significant other early in the conversation. Oh, my husband does this or my husband does right. that. Yeah, My husband does this or that or, oh, I'm glad we're meeting at 5 o'clock because my husband's coming by at 6.30. We're going to have dinner in the city, whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And I think if, if you're talking about your spouse, be sure to do it in a positive way. <laughs> I actually saw a case last year where someone got themselves in trouble. He had had a crush on his assistant for a long time, kept it to himself. They were both married. And then she was so distraught that her husband was voting for Donald Trump that she started talking to her boss about her distress about her husband's uh, political leanings. And he took that to be, she's not happy in her marriage anymore. Now's the chance for me to make my move. Uh oh. He totally misread what it was. She just was looking for an outlet for her frustrations (laughs) and he read too much into it. So if you are talking about your spouse, talk about your spouse in a positive way if you're not trying to invite somebody to replace them. And that was actually my question uh, to you, Peggy, because there's a lot of mixed messaging here. And and the people look at different things. I mean, they look at your body language. They look at the tone in which you, you could be talking 100% professionally, but they're thinking, oh, well, she's giving me the eye. You know, Dr. James even said, you don't even know that people may view you as a flirtatious person. You know, we have to cut each other a little bit of slack. Yeah. I actually do the defense side of employment law. And so I get the call when somebody has been accused of crossing a boundary. And uh, and sometimes they've really done it and they deserve the complaint. Other times it was quite innocent, like it was in that situation. He thought he was being invited to make a move and he wasn't. Yeah. He just totally misread the signals. Um, and and I, all you can really do, I think, is... If somebody inadvertently crosses a line and then apologizes for it when they find out, I would say, you know, Let accept the apology and move on. Yeah. And and Dr. James, I want you to jump back in here and talk about, I mean, a lot of times you do have to have dinner meetings. There are some people, there's actually a book about being a Christian husband and how, you know, you should always leave the door open if you meet with someone of the opposite sex. And there's all these specific rules about making it absolutely clear and keeping yourself out of harm's way, so to speak. Do you give people advice on that type of thing? Once again, it goes from relationship to relationship. I think it is important that within each relationship that you share what are the values, what's okay versus what's not okay. And that might go all the way to talking about social media and what you do, text messages, all the way down to meetings. But some relationships, they have a level of trust and understanding that they know that my husband or wife is going to meet out with someone this later on today. For instance, I work late. I have a lot of like late clients. My wife knows that I'm working, but she knows that she knows we we share our schedule. So it's important that it is out there and it's talked about so that people can make decisions. And I think kind of if you're not doing these things, if you're not aware of it, that is how people slip into inappropriate relationships. They they start to share these personal things, and it goes from a meeting to now really a casual thing to now something that, that feels like it's more romantic, and they've lost perspective. It's a slippery slope when you start crossing these lines. And so, uh, Jennifer, I do want to ask you, has your training and workshops changed to incorporate the, the impact of the Me Too movement? 
So I don't think they've changed yet, but I feel like they will because I've been reading a lot about how men are now less apt to take on women yes. as mentees mm-hmm. or to have these meetings, breakfast or whatever we want to call it, you know, with women to help them with career advice because they're so afraid that something might be misconstrued and there might be a situation that develops from it. It's really unfortunate because, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of um, CEOs or C-suite level people that are still men that are in that position, a lot less women still, you know, the statistics are still that women are not in that many positions like that. And they need the male mentors to help them move along in their career. Um, and it's it's unfortunate that I think the trend's going to be that there's less willingness to do that. So women are still going to have to overcome that even more, unfortunately. Yeah, because women need we need entree into these male dominated spaces and we have to learn how to navigate ourselves. Right. Right. In the case there is someone trying to hit on you, how do you, you shut it down and make sure, look, I'm here for professional per- reasons only and I'm trying to move up. You don't want to upset them, but at the same time. You want to open the door for a, a professional relationship, right? Peggy, do you think training is necessary I, now that this is going on? I mean, people are scared. What do you do? It's not only necessary. It's absolutely critical. There are so many people out there who just don't understand that, for one thing, they think their intentions are what control when it's not. The law doesn't say that. The law says it's the impact of your behavior that dictates whether It's lawful or unlawful, not whether you intended to create an uncomfortable environment, but whether, in fact, you did. And most people don't know that. They don't realize that it doesn't have to be a a subordinate relationship in order for it to constitute sexual harassment. One coworker can create a hostile work environment for another, even though there's no reporting relationship. They don't realize that. So I think training really does open people's eyes sometimes to some of the subtleties. If you look at legal definitions, you think, well, I don't do that. But when you give them real life examples of things that you've encountered where a person with good intentions still wound up inadvertently creating an uncomfortable environment for somebody else, they're kind of surprised and they oh, well, I've, yeah, I've done that. <laughs> yeah. And I, th- I didn't realize that that would cause that that reaction. It's kind of shocking. Um, to folks. And Dr. James, I mean, as this, the, the sexes are being viewed more and more as equals, but our culture is still kind of lagging behind. Um, and I've actually heard men say that, you know, sometimes when they meet a woman, they're not even looking at her as a business equal initially until they because fi- they don't know what you do. So they're looking at you as just a woman. And, you know, they don't know if you're a CEO or model, whatever. And They're rating her on her attractiveness, but it's not the same as when they meet a guy. And so what can be done? And and women do the same thing. Oh, he's cute, whatever. But this is a guy who you need to network with. So how do you help shift the culture and change your mindset to to just look at someone in a more professional way? I mean, is that a personal thing, Dr. James? I don't know if that is necessarily going to change because I think that gets into the way that we are drawn to people and attracted to people and how we bring that into our work and professional lives. I think what does need to change is that even if someone is pretty or attractive, doesn't mean I need to belittle them or minimize their capability in their in the work and professional setting. That this person has a lot to offer outside of their attractiveness and, and, and that connection. And I do see it happen in both ways, but more so to the point that was made earlier that I've I've worked with a lot of men that are now super superly anxious about how do they conduct themselves. And now the good part of that is that they need to be aware of what they're doing and not crossing the lines. 
but then now they're also more reluctant. So I think all this is connected in terms of attraction, but seeing somebody as an equal, regardless of how they might look, and being able to give people a chance, even though you might be anxious. What can women do to put men at ease about this while still keeping up that professional wall to make sure that they don't cross the line? Yeah, I think, you know, it's not really a matter of women, men, as much as the way you deal with people. You know, I mean, just have a conversation like you would with anyone else. And, you know, the kind of conversation, like a good example would be church. You know, is this a conversation that I'd feel comfortable having at church or synagogue, you know, or or my mosque or whatever it is? Is this the way I would present myself in my dress if I was meeting the Pope today? You know, would this be an appropriate outfit? I think keeping those things well, in the mind. Pope, uh, <laughs> 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 that, that might be a little. Yeah, but I get what you're you saying. You get what I'm saying, right? So, I mean, you know, of course we want to be like, I mean, I'm a fashion girl, fashion stylist. I get it. But, you know, I mean, if you want if you want to put people at ease, I think, you know, you have to not give people a reason to feel like there's something other going on. You know, not engage in the flirtation, not have something short on or show cleavage or whatever it is. Um, make sure that you're not addressing controversial topics. I really liked what Peggy had to say about not um, kind of degrading your significant other or spouse, because I think that gets to a place where people feel like, well, I can kind of move in. You know, it's comfortable um, or it becomes almost like a therapy session and you develop a relationship that's really not appropriate. So I think it all comes back to those boundaries and the professionalism. And, and then I want to flip it up because, you know, I've had men tell me you can't even ask a woman out anymore. I I do like this person. Yes, I think they're brilliant and the network. When is it okay to, to and then how do you snatch it back if, if they're offended? <laughs> well, the advice I give when I do training, and this is not what the law would say. This is just Peggy McCausland. Do not under any circumstances ever try to engage in a in a personal romantic relationship with anybody that reports directly to you or to whom you directly report because even though consensual relationships are not against the law, it's only consensual till somebody decides it's not, and now your career blows up. So that's Me step too, one. all over the place. Right, and, it gets into a power dynamic. Right, and if it's not a power dynamic, if it's just another coworker, then you ask once and that person says, no, thank you, do not ask again. If they say, no, thanks, I'm busy Friday night, could I have a rain check? I think you got invited to ask again. But if they say no... Just back off. If you misread it and they really did want you to ask again, they know where you work. They can find you. Part of what I'll just quickly say to that is sometimes it's okay to build up the relationship before you take your shot. You know, you want to shoot your shot when you believe it's going to be the most accurate. And so I think that you're not going to maybe introduce yourself or try to ask somebody out when you're just getting to know them, especially in the work context. Wait a little bit to feel them out, to know if what you're trying to do is actually going to be able to work with that person. And if it's mutual. And did you want to weigh in on that? Yeah. I totally agree with that because I think even in a regular situation where we're not analyzing the differences between women and men, think about going to a networking event and the pe- the kind of person that approaches you and says, hi, I'm Jim. I'm with this heating and air conditioning company. Like, don't you want to use our services? Here's all what we do. And you're so taken aback. Like, why is he in my face? I didn't really ask for any of these services. I don't really care what he does. I didn't tell him I have a need for this. But if you got to know him over time, you know, in six months down the road, your air conditioner breaks, maybe you'll call Jim. So I think it's no different with somebody else. You know, don't immediately get in a situation where you're trying to ask them out because you're feeling a certain vibe. Get to know them as a person, you know, in a, in a relationship within the workplace or even outside the workplace. But don't immediately go to, you know, will you go on a date with me? Yeah. But yeah. sometimes that you have developed that relationship. I just had a situation where a gentleman thought that this friendship had developed, and but the woman saw it as pure 
platonic friendship. He was interested in more. She kept making up excuses to say no. And he kept taking her excuses as legitimate rather than simply being too polite to tell him I'm not interested. So he kept asking, and eventually he made her sufficiently uncomfortable that she lodged a complaint. If he had followed my rule, which is if the person says no, no, just no, I'm, then back off. And if they give you too many excuses, back off. Yeah. Because maybe they're just being overly polite. Some people find it very challenging to say to somebody, sorry, not interested, as opposed to sorry, I'm busy. Yeah. And, or, yeah. And, and that's the one thing. People are not straightforward. But because this is Flashpoint, this is a good conversation, y'all. This is a really good conversation. With gender equality expectations on the rise and women and men still have to look at each other and, and work together, what is your last bit of advice for making those effective um, and influential connections across gender lines? How do we build that up and, and give your, and do it with confidence? Don't let it stop you. You know, stay professional and Keep your eye on the prize as far as as far as where you want to get to in the workplace or your career. You know, just keep it with boundaries. Don't not make the appointment or the meeting because you're afraid of what's going to transpire or you have an instinct about it. Just make sure that you keep it professional. There's a viral video that I would recommend that was out on YouTube a few years ago. I don't mean to make light of the situation, but I would highly recommend it for people. It's called Am I Networking or Am I on a Date? And it actually gives criteria. Um, so I would encourage people to watch that and kind of see like what the signs are that people might interpret as romantic as opposed to a business relationship. Love that, Peggy. And then we'll let Dr. James close it out. Don't turn what could have been a potential sexual harassment complaint into a sexual discrimination complaint by treating women differently simply because you've got this new fear. If you would have a closed-door meeting with a, a male associate, then the closed-door meeting should be able to happen with a woman. If you're not comfortable with that, then don't have closed-door meetings with the men either, and then you can't be accused of treating men and women differently. If you mentor men, mentor women. Otherwise, you trade one kind of potential liability for a different kind Wow. Got to keep it. Got to keep it equal. And last word, Dr. James. Take care of home. Uh, oftentimes, uh, couples are coming into me because uh, there's something going wrong at home and they didn't address it. And they start the slippery slope where they're opening up more with their coworkers. And then what should be a platonic professional relationship now turns into something else. And so if they allow themselves to pay attention to what's going on at home and guard home base, then they can be in a better position to keep professional, professional, and not mix the lines and not blur those lines, especially for those who are in coupled relationships. And if you're not, just be aware of that and pay attention to what you're giving off and not cross the lines because it's going to hurt you in the long run. Don't cross those lines. I just want to say thank you to Peggy McCausland. Thank you to Jennifer Robinson. And thank you to Dr. George James for being on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. Next up, Philadelphia is home to 300,000 people with criminal pasts. The question that we have to grapple with as a community is, should that be a scarlet letter on someone's life for the rest of their life? Pennsylvania's clean slate bill signed into law this week and why it's helping the Commonwealth become a leader in reentry. We'll be right back. guys we changed some things up let me know how you like the new sound to our podcast also we need your help please 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 subscribe 
You can use iTunes. And if you have an Android, you can use the Radio.com app and search Flashpoint KYW. We also have a new Twitter account. Yay! It's called Flashpoint Show. You can follow us. We'll follow you back. And remember to leave a review for the podcast. We love, love, love feedback. Now back to the show. Thanks, all. This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. And you know I cover criminal justice reform. And one thing that gets Philly residents hot under the collar is the persistent and pervasive discrimination against individuals who have paid their debt to society. I need a clean slate. Well, this week, Governor Tom Wolf signed a bill into law that would help individuals arrested or convicted of minor offenses seal their criminal records if they've been law-abiding for a period of time. It's been applauded by advocates across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. With me in the studio is one of the main sponsors of this legislation, State Representative Jordan Harris, a native of South Southwest Philly. Welcome back to the KYW Studios. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is a big deal for you, and I've known you for many, many years. Yes. So congratulations. <laughs> this is your third piece of legislation that made it to law. Yes, and since being elected to the legislature, criminal justice reform has definitely been on the top of my priority list, understanding that um, in my opinion, the justice system has not been fair and equal to everyone. And we have not done a good job as a society of helping people reacclimate uh, and reintegrate back into uh, our communities. And we cannot expect people not to continue to go back to prison unless we have a pathway for them to reform themselves. And, and, and let's dig into that. Explain the big problems that contributed to recidivism that you sought to solve with this legislation. One of the first things is uh, employment. And, and let me be clear, this bill will not help everybody. It is not the silver bullet to fix all of our problems. But it definitely moves Pennsylvania in the right direction. And the clean slate bill is actually the first of its kind in the nation with regards to the automatic sealing of of criminal records. So the problem for a lot of folks um, is that they can't find stable employment that enables them to take care of themselves and take care of their family. And a lot of that has to do with their criminal record and something, you know, as minor as a simple assault, something as minor as a theft. Things that we see, oh, that's not a big deal. If it's on your criminal record, it is a big deal. And it can hinder you from becoming gainfully employed. So in 2016, we did a bill that now is Act Number 5, which provided a way to seal a person's record of misdemeanor threes and twos. And now with the clean slate bill, those things under Act Number 5 with misdemeanor twos and threes will be automatically sealed after 10 years. And misdemeanor ones will be the only ones that you'll need to go to court for and get an order of limited access. People don't know these misdemeanor one, two. What does that mean? Sure. Petty so theft, what? So misdemeanor threes are going to be your lower level offenses. Misdemeanor ones, though, on the other hand, can be more serious, but not to the like level what? of a felony. Uh, some assaults can be misdemeanor ones, depending. So, But mostly we're talking petty theft, retail theft, stuff like that. At the lower end, yes. At mm-hmm. the lower end on a, on a three level. But there are some crimes that are misdemeanor ones that, you know, people get that, um, you know, may have right, ro- ro- make, make you raise your eyebrow, you know, 10 years ago. But the question that we have to grapple with as a community is, should that be a scarlet letter on someone's life for the rest of their life? And if, and if your answer is yes, that it should, then you also have to bear the brunt of taking care of that person for the rest of their life. Because if they can't become gainfully employed, they're going to be on the system for the rest of their life. So what we've said is that we really believe in second chances, that we really believe that people can reform 
uh, reform their lives and change their lives. Yeah. And if they have shown that, then the government must give them an opportunity. And we want to point out that you have to be a law-abiding citizen for a period of time. And what's that yes, period? 10 years. Now, some people say, oh, that's such a long time. And it is a long time. It, if I had my way, it would be a shorter time. Like but seven. If I had my way, Like bad be, credit, right? Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need them seven years. They fall off your credit. But anyway, if it was up to me, I mean, there are studies that show after three years how recidivism, the recidivism rates drop. After five years, I would like us to get to a place where we're doing legislation that when we use these these time periods, we're doing it based off of what the, what the data says. Yeah. Um, but right now, 10 years was the compromise that we could get to. And, and you know, that's where we are. And, and, and it's moving us in the right direction. And let's talk about compromise, because this is bipartisan. We have a Republican legislature in Pennsylvania, yes. in case y'all didn't know. Right. And um, Jordan Harris is a Democrat, proud Democrat. He's the he is the head, a chairman of the uh, Pennsylvania Legislative Pennsylvania, Black Caucus. Yes, Legislative Black Caucus mm-hmm. here. But you were able to get Republican support for this bill early on. Yes. Explain why Republicans, conservatives, support this type well, of legislation. We both understand the fact that we are spending way too much incarcerating people, and we should be spending those tax dollars in other ways. So I think both Democrats and Republicans understand that. I think there also is a contingency of Republicans that felt like the tough on crime, you know, times of the 90s, early 2000s didn't work. The war on drugs was a war on people. And I think now, particularly with the opioid crisis, a lot of folks are seeing their sons and daughters who have addiction have records. And what are they going to do? Um, So the laws help. Everybody. It helps everybody. Now, your district is a great example of some of the problems facing Pennsylvania when it mm-hmm. comes to criminal records and, and Philadelphia generally, because yeah. folks may not know these statistics, but we have over a quarter of a million people with criminal past in Philadelphia. Yes. And folks are coming home every day. Yes. One in five Philadelphians have a, a, a criminal record. A super majority of folks who are in our penal systems, whether state or, or federal, they're coming home. So we have to... Um, as a society, say to ourselves, what is the pathway for them to reintegrate so that they don't recidivate, meaning the, so they don't yeah. keep going back to fourth to prison, mm-hmm. and so that they go from what I say is from a tax burden to a taxpayer. And I just want to point out for people who get nervous, oh, my God, you're going to be clearing people's records or sealing records, you know, but this is for people. This is not for murderers. No. This is not for rapists. No. These are for people who've done petty crimes for the most part Mm -hmm. that would keep you from being able to get any kind of job. If you have a theft on your record, you can't get a job at Target. And you could have done that at 18 and you're 35. Absolutely. Not only that, um, some folks with criminal records can't get into senior housing. Some folks with criminal records can't get into public housing. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we understand that we are different at 40 than we were at 20. So if I'm different at 40 than I was at 20, some of those things that I did at 20, there should be some recourse for me to help me reform uh, my life. And and that's what the Clean Slate Bill does. And it should be pointed out, though, for those who are concerned about folks and, you know, what if they backslide, as my pastor would say, this bill seals it from employers. It's so sealed. It's not it's erased. sealed. So what hap- if, if something happens and, you, and a person has to go to court, the judge can see it. And yes, the district attorney's office will be but able to see it. But your job employers, because they have a separate database exactly. and you can search it in a different way. And, and the, here's the beauty of it. The beauty of it is, once it's sealed on your record, when you fill out a job application and it says, have you been convicted of a crime? You can check no. Yeah. So that alone 
uh, it is a big help for just a lot of people. Just being able to check no. You know, before we close out our interview, I do want to say that this is just the beginning because there's more bills in the pipeline. Yes. I mean, there are a lot of other pieces of legislation. I mean, I'll, I'll let the cat out the bag next session where I'm going to introduce the bill to go after felonies. This bill deals with misdemeanors. But according to the state police and the, 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 the court system that holds all of our records, if we were to do nonviolent felonies, particularly nonviolent drug felonies, we could affect over a million Pennsylvanians. So How many does this current bill affect? A, hundred, a, couple hundred, a couple hundred thousand. So you could literally have changed the lives of a million more Pennsylvanians. Absolutely. There's no question in my mind at the, the, the beginning of next session, we will introduce a bill to go after felonies in the same type of coalition that we built to do this. If we were able to get there, really be a leader in things um, when we're typically the last one to get things done. I know because Pennsylvania's record when it comes to overly harsh sentencing yeah. and just the treatment of men and women who are incarcerated has mm-hmm. been abysmal. And now there's a at the end of the tunnel. Thanks to you, Jordan Harris. And just a quick background on Jordan Harris, former school teacher. Yes. Totally educated here in Philadelphia. Whole life. And beyond for college and everything. And now you were tearing it up in the legislature. Well, we're trying to get things done and it takes a team effort. I mean, uh, this, like you said, this bill was a bipartisan effort. Representative Cheryl DeLosier out of uh, Cumberland County, who's a Republican. We we can and we do. And I'm just excited. And I'm excited also for all to come after talking about um, what do we do with folks who have life sentences and should they be eligible for parole? That's Representative Dawkins and Senator Sharif Street. Representative McClinton has tackled issues of DNA and how police are able to use yeah. uh, uh, DNA. It's a lot going on. It's going on in criminal justice reform in the Commonwealth. And, you know, I'm just glad to, to be in the forefront of the governor signing this into law. It, it does. It's going to take a little while. So understand that the clean slate part where it'll be automatically sealed is going to take 365 to give the court system the opportunity to basically close all of to, those yeah. all those records. It's going to take 180 days before someone can go and get a, a order of limited access for those M1s. But House Bill 1419 law of the land and we should also shout out senator anthony williams who on the senate side had a companion bill in the senate so house senate democrat republican getting it done well congratulations to you jordan harris and i know that community legal services and other organizations across the city of philadelphia will be helping people in the coming months so congratulations to you state representative jordan harris on getting this clean slate bill working across the aisle, and being an example to lawmakers across this country, and now making Pennsylvania an example. Congratulations, and thank you for being on Flashpoint. Thank you, Dad. Next up, a Philadelphia man's journey to bring healing in 49 states and 37 countries. What repairs the fabric of tattered humanity more than hugging a stranger? We'll be right back. This is Flashpoint, and I'm Cherry Gregg. We here at KYW are all about community and what says community in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection more than a hug. Dave Hale Sylvester, a.k.a. Big Dave, is a one-man hugging and high-fiving machine. Since September 11, 2001, he's engaged on a personal journey that has taken him to 49 states and 37 countries, a lot of it on his bike. He's already touched 200,000 people worldwide, and his journey is featured in a documentary, as well as in a book titled Traveling at the Speed of Life. Welcome to Flashpoint and to the KYW Studios, Dave. Well, thank you for having me. So I I, want to say I got to experience the hugging machine. Right. And it was great. 
cool, you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I said, when I heard about your story, please, for folks who may not have heard of you, what was so significant about September 11th? We all know what happened, but why did you personally decide to take on this journey? Um, I lost a good friend of mine, Kevin Bowser, uh, in the World Trade Center, and I wanted to do something, just something. And if you can recall back to that time, uh, right after September 11th, I mean, I think everybody wanted to do something. Everyone wanted to do something to sort of reclaim that air of security that we lost. And, you know, I decided I was going to ride my bicycle across the United States and raise money for a charity in my friend's name. People started contacting me from all over the planet. And so when I got back uh, back home, because I literally rode from Astoria, Oregon, all the way across the United States to my friend's home in West Philadelphia, and uh, I decided I wanted to do more. And the next trip that I did was uh, the length of Africa from Cairo to Cape Town. And just like with the North America trip, the trip across Africa opened me up to a beautiful response from people. And so I did more and next bicycled uh, Asia from Istanbul to Beijing. And then I wrote an article for ESPN that got 2 million hits. And so I next went across the United States again stopping each week and uh, volunteering a day at various charities, ranging from animal shelters to drug addiction centers to domestic violence shelters. I decided that I could see a book on my travels, and mm-hmm. I wrote Traveling at the Speed of Life. What made you say, I want to hug people? Why? I mean, there's a lot of things that people did after 9-11. Why hugs? I, I think that is what makes you feel more secure. What repairs the fabric of humanity, of the, you know, of tattered humanity more than, than hugging a stranger? It, you don't even have to go back to 9-11, just all the stuff that's happening now. I mean, people are fearful of everybody else because, you know, everybody else is a bad person, not you. Did anybody think you were crazy? All the time. You are looking me at me like I'm crazy right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not looking at you any kind of way. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. And I just, you know, I just wondered, like, when you said, I, you know, this is my idea, you know, that anybody say to you, I've had ideas. People have asked me, am uh-huh. I crazy? This is people say, you know, Dave, what do you think you're going to do? These people are not going to want to hug you. All the time. Some people aren't into it, but that's why there's the high five option. You know, I've had people that have high fived me come back around for a hug. Right now, my story has turned from not just bicycling across continents, but now going to places affected by violence. So I went to... Las Vegas after that shooting, I went to the Pulse nightclub in Orlando. After that shooting, I went to Sutherland Springs, Texas. After that church got shot up to Benton, Kentucky to go hug and high five students at a high school where there was a shooting where that left two people dead and 18 people injured. Wow. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, people, they also want to see that life can go on again. And right now I am representative of the fact that, hey, look, you can go move forward with life. You yeah. can lose somebody and still move forward. You can change the world in a very simple way. So you know, now that you've hit the goal, because the original goal was to do 200,000, and now you kind of surpassed that. Yeah, it's crazy. My goals right now for the foreseeable future is, one, to get this book out, uh, to get the 50th state out, Alaska. You just put up a sign? What do you, um, do? you know, I've contacted some organizations and stuff like that. So you have a place, like, you have a base. Yeah, it's a lot of work to do this. It's a lot of work to to set it up. It's a lot of explaining that you have to do to people. We all now live in our own little, because of our cell phones and social media, live in our own echo chambers of whatever, whatever it is that we want to listen to. You know, the, the, the same music, the same this, the same. 
you know, it's uh, open yourself up, talk to somebody. And, that, and that's it. I uh, had a hug party in Lebanon, Kansas. You know, I was talking to this woman at work there at the library where I was having this hug and high five party. And I said, you know, what do you want me to tell people about Kansas, about the flyover states, about whatever? And she said, just tell people, you know, we, uh, we think what we think because we see what we see, which I think is pretty profound because we all do that. And if that's the case, then, you know, we all need to communicate a little bit more with each other about what, about what we see, about yeah. what, what we see. And I'm not saying that my way is right, my vision is right, and your vision is wrong, yeah. but just this is what I see in the world. Just communicate with people. And Where can people come get a hug or donate to the cause? You can go to my site, DavidHaleSylvester.com. You know, you can follow me on Instagram. I'm the human high five. Or if you're downtown, I work downtown, just call me. Yeah. 267-252-1974. It's the only phone I got. And I'm there. All right. Well, thank you so much to David Hale Sylvester, a.k.a. Big Dave, a.k.a. The Human High Five, for coming into Flashpoint and talking about your own ongoing efforts. Thank you very much. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow KYW News Radio or Flashpoint Show on Twitter and let us know what you think by using the hashtag Flashpoint. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. You can subscribe to the show by using the radio.com app, iTunes, or whichever platform you use to get your pods. You can search Flashpoint KYW. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg once said, a gender line helps to keep women not on a pedestal, but in a cage. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.